and to be thinking about the gospel. Now, the word gospel, in case you don't know, this word means literally means good news. That's what the word means. And when we think about gospel, we think about good news, we are always thinking about Jesus, who he is and what he has done. So when we talk about gospel this morning or any time that we talk about gospel, and as I go through this um, message this morning, and every time I use the word gospel, what I want you to be thinking is Jesus. When we say gospel, what we really mean is Jesus, and Jesus is work in the lives of the believers, what he has done to bring about salvation, and what he continues to do in the work of the lives and believers after salvation. Those are the two things that we're going to be looking at this morning. One of those things is Jesus and the work that he did in saving us, and then Jesus and the work that he's continuing to do in us after salvation. Because the gospel just keeps on working. I think this is one of the many great things about the gospel. Is that it never stops working in us. So, and thinking about this message this morning, I spent some time a couple weeks ago doing an internet search, looking for things that have been working, that have been running for a really long time. I found a few really interesting things. There is a fire station in California that has the world's oldest light bulb that has been burning since 1901. Now, I don't know what they did in that light bulb, but I wish I could replicate that and put that all over my house and never have to buy light bulbs again. That would be pretty nice. The world's oldest vacuum has been running since 1934. The world's oldest television has been working since 1935. And the one that I personally found most impressive is that the oldest refrigerator is a GE fridge from 1930 that is still running. Now, I think this is unique because one of the things about refrigerators is that it runs all the time, right? I mean, a refrigerator is always running, always keeping your food uh, nice and cold. Unless you unplug it, it doesn't stop, right? So, I mean, it looks like this refrigerator has been running every day, 24-7, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, every year since 1930. I think this reaffirms that the old saying is really true, right? They don't make them like they used to. I mean, wouldn't it be great to have something like that that just kept on working, that didn't stop doing its job, that didn't break down? I mean, I'm thinking I'm pretty cool that I have a TV that's over 10 years old and it actually still works. Um, we live in a time where it seems like everything that we buy is short-lived, right? Our appliances, our computers, our cell phones. It seems like they just don't have a very long lifespan anymore. I mean, can you imagine your smartphone still working 100 years from now? I mean, that would be pretty cool because the reality is we're, we're actually kind of fortunate if we get five or six good years out of our cell phones before they're outdated and they say, hey, your phone is too old, it can't even do a software update anymore. I mean, I remember we were pretty late in the smartphone uh, game. We didn't get our first smartphones until the fall of 2015. The reason I remember this uh, very well when we got our first iPhones is because the Kansas City Royals happened to be playing the Houston Astros that very afternoon, had this great eighth inning come from behind victory, and I was busy getting a cell phone, and I completely missed the game. But you know, what's interesting is I thought about that. I thought, man, that's only seven years ago. 
and I have no clue where my original smartphone is. I'm guessing I upgraded at some point in time and turned it in for the next newer, better model. That's because smartphones, as, as cool as they are, they just don't last that long, right? But you got to give them credit, right? They are always running. I don't know about you, but I never turn off my smartphone. I mean, the only time I turn it off is if I have to do a reboot for whatever, some reason, right? So, you know, day and night, my phone does keep running, which is great that it runs like that, but it just doesn't have a very long lifespan. So I'm glad that the gospel is not like my cell phone. The gospel just keeps working. It doesn't stop. It doesn't break down. And that is good news for us because we need the gospel to be continually working in our lives. And that's what I want us to be thinking about this morning, the never-ending work in the gospel. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at two passages in the book of Titus to see two ways that the gospel is working in the lives of believers. The first one that we're going to look at this morning is Titus chapter 3 verses 4 through 7. If you could stand with me in honor of reading God's Word. The Scripture will be on the screen as well if you can follow along, or you can obviously look on your Bible or your phone or wherever you're reading this morning. This is Titus 3, verses 4 through 7, which says this, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Let's pray. Father God, we pray this morning as we talk about the gospel, we recognize that we are completely dependent upon you. So I pray that you would be the one working in us this morning, and we trust that you are powerful and that you will do a powerful work here today. And we pray this in your name. Amen. You may be seated. So look at the way this uh, section starts in verse 4 when it says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of our God, of God our Savior, appeared. And I love the way this starts out because I love that it says God has revealed himself to us in this way. His goodness and his loving kindness towards us. These are two beautiful attributes of our God. God in his goodness, his excellency, and his worth has been revealed to us. As well as his great love, it's not just his love, it's his loving kindness. And God wants us to know these attributes of his. This is God's disposition towards us while he is doing the work of saving us. Goodness and loving kindness. These are not just general attributes of God. No, these are attributes that God has directed toward us. And the way those attributes have most been clearly and beautifully displayed to us is in the person and work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Whenever you take time and read the New Testament and read about Jesus, whether it be in the gospel or in the epistles, what is reflected in him for us to see is the goodness and loving kindness of our God. 
And this is truly wonderful in and of itself. But what is even more amazing is that these are the attributes of God that were toward us in the act of saving us while we were in rebellion against him. It's amazing to think that the thing that God chose to show sinners who were rebelling against him are goodness and loving kindness in Jesus Christ. And this leads to verse 5, where it says that he saved us. This saving work is a 100% work of Jesus. It's not because of anything that we do, not because of works done by us in righteousness, as verse 5 says. We bring nothing to the table in our salvation. Our part is 0%, not like 000.1, 0%, period. We contribute nothing to our salvation. Instead, it is according to his own mercy that we are saved. This mercy is that God saves us despite our rebelling. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. This is unmerited favor that has been given to us. Mercy is this, is that he loved us at his best when we were at our worst. This is the mercy of God towards us. What we read next is how God does this saving work in us, where it says, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. There's a washing that has taken place by the Holy Spirit. It means that we have been made clean. All of our sin, all of our guilt, all of our shame, it has been washed away. It's been removed and is completely gone. Now think of it with me about a time when you were just really, really dirty. Like I remember a time, I maybe have shared this with you before, that when I was a youth pastor in Kansas, we went on mission trips where we would go and into low-income neighborhoods and, and re-roof houses. This house, one that was particular that we were at, the house had to have been 100 years old, and I think the roof was 100 years old too. The roof had these old cedar shingles, and I don't know if you ever worked with cedar shakes before or not, but they are dirty, especially when they're really old. They just collect dust and dirt, and I remember they were so old and brittle, they were just, just breaking apart as we were pulling them off. And like I look like Pigpen uh, from Charlie Brown after the first couple of days of tearing all of these shingles off, just literally covered from head to foot in, in dirt. I mean, I'd never been so dirty. I remember I just even threw away my clothes at the end of the week because I'm like, these, these are beyond hope. And I just remember scrubbing and working hard to get myself clean. But there is something refreshing about being clean when you've been really, really dirty, right? There's a refreshment that comes from us being clean. And this is what the Holy Spirit does to us inside, internally in our souls, when he scrubs us clean from all of our sin. Verse 5 also says that we have the washing of regeneration and renewal. Now, I know those two words may sound really uh, similar, but they do have two very different meanings to them. Regeneration means that a new birth has taken place, that you have been born again. 
It doesn't mean that you're just improved or that you're better. It means that you are made new by the gospel. And renewal means that a complete change has occurred. So our regeneration is a new birth, and that new birth brings about a renewal, which is a complete change and renovation that has taken place within us. In other words, we are radically different, and we are completely transformed by the gospel. Our old self of sin has been entirely removed, and it is gone. It is done away with, and a new and fundamentally different life has taken its place. And God does this in a very generous way. Look at what it says here again in verse 6, where it says, Whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Now, follow the grammar here with me for a minute. God is the he that does the pouring. He poured out. God does the pouring. The Holy Spirit is the whom, whom has been poured out on us. And this pouring out, this washing has been done richly. means it's been done generously in an abundant way. means that we're not sort of washed. It does not mean we're just barely washed. This reminds me of my boys, the way they wash their hands. Even today, my boys, some of my boys might hold their hand under the water for about 2.7 seconds and may or may not have used soap in those moments to wash their hands. To say that their hands are washed would be an extremely loose interpretation of the task at hand. But that's not the way God washes us. No, God pours out the Holy Spirit on us richly and abundantly. God is very generous in pouring out the Holy Spirit on us so that we are cleansed thoroughly. We are regenerated completely and renewed entirely. We have been drenched, and we are soaking with the Holy Spirit. And we see that the Holy Spirit is being poured out to us by God through Jesus. It's Jesus' work on the cross that broke down the wall of hostility and brought us near to God And then Jesus does this work that allows the Holy Spirit to be poured onto us. And what we have here is we have all three parts of the Trinity, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit all at work in your salvation. This is how much God is on your side in saving you, that all three parts of the Trinity are actively working on your behalf in order to save you. That is a powerful, saving work that is taking place in the lives of believers. And this is a very reassuring thought. We see more of that powerful, gospel-saving work in verse 7, where it says, So that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. It is the grace of God, it is the gospel that does the justifying work in us. It is the work of God that declares us righteous, that says you are now in right standing with God. Because this is what the gospel does. The gospel is all about God doing the work of restoring our relationship with him. A work that we didn't earn, a work that we didn't deserve, but yet a work that God does anyway. This grace of God is also the thing that makes us heirs 
and gives us heirs as heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Now, to be an heir means that you have been given an incredible possession. And this possession that we have been given is the great hope of eternal life with God. So the gospel, the grace of God, is the thing that also brings us all the way home with him. All of this is truly good gospel news, is it not? But as the old TV infomercial used to say, but wait, there's more. Because there is more good news of the work of the gospel because it doesn't stop at our salvation. What we saw in this passage here in chapter 3 is all about the work that God did in saving us. And that is truly good news. But the good news does not stop there. There's more good news for us to see because there's more work of the gospel that is going on in the lives of believers. So this is where we're going to move to our second passage in Titus this morning to see the continuing work of the gospel in lives of believers. And this is in Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14. You can remain seated as I read this passage to you. So Titus 2, starting in verse 11, says this, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us, to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works so just like what we saw in titus chapter 3 we see the same thing here in chapter 2 where it says for the grace of god has appeared bringing salvation for all the people and we know that jesus is that grace of god that has appeared to bring salvation so whenever we think of jesus and we see jesus what we should be thinking about is there's the grace of god personified Jesus is the grace of God. That is the gospel that Jesus has come and that he has come to bring salvation to us. But then look at what Paul goes on to say in verse 12. He says, training us. Now, before we go on, we need to ask the question, who is doing this training? Who's training us? Someone is doing some training and it's vitally important to see who that is. Well, to find the object of that training, we need to go back to verse 11 for the answer, and it is the grace of God that is training us. Look at where it says, the grace of God has appeared, it's bringing salvation for all people, and it is training us. So what we see here is that the gospel is not only the thing that saves us, it is also the thing that is training us. One commentator said this, grace not only saves, but undertakes our training. You see, the gospel work is not done at our salvation. The gospel, the work of the gospel continues in our training. And this is really good news to know that the gospel is still here and the gospel is still doing a work. Because the gospel doesn't save us and then just sends us on our own merry way to navigate this Christian life all on our own. 
No, instead, the gospel stays with us and continues to do a work in us. The gospel is training, which means it is teaching and instructing and leading and discipling us. For the gospel not only calls us to live a godly life, but also enables us to live that godly life. See, the gospel is the fuel and the energy and the engine that drives and moves us and empowers us to live this Christian life. We see here in this passage in Titus Titus chapter 2 that the gospel instructs us in, in several ways. That there are two things that we are to say no to and three things that we are to say yes to. First, the things that we are to say no to. We are to renounce, which means we are to deny and disown ungodliness. And we are to renounce worldly passions. I don't know if you were a product of the 80s like I was, but back in the 80s, uh, the first lady, Nancy Reagan, had an anti-drug campaign that she started with the Just Say No campaign. You remember this? Uh, the, The message was, if someone comes and offers you drugs, you just say no. Keep it simple. Keep it straight. Don't get fancy. Just be direct and just say no. Well, the gospel, it's teaching us and leading us and empowering us to just say no to the things of this world that go against the things of God, the things that we find in Scripture. Now, the things of the world that try to tempt us and lead us astray from the Lord, there's a lot of them, right? Whether it be the things that we see on our phone, the things that we see in the world around us that we want. And it can be pretty overwhelming, right? But look that the good news is we don't fight alone. No matter how appealing worldly passions may look, we are not alone and we don't fight alone. Because the good news is the gospel is training in you, is working in you to fight against those things of this world. And it's important for us to remember this, that the gospel is powerful, that Jesus is on your side, and that he is working in you, that if he overcame the grave, he can overcome anything that you are fighting against to give you a power to renounce those things and to just say no to them. But the gospel is also training us to say yes to three things in verse 12. We are to say yes to living a self-controlled life, an upright life, and a godly life. So not only does the gospel call us to not live according to the world's standards, but we are also called to live according to God's standards. And again, the gospel is here to help us to live this life that we are called to live. Self-control is hard, right? I mean, we can't do it by ourselves. I don't think it's phrased very well. Because I know that I don't have the power to have a self-controlled life. But the good news is, what is one of the fruit of the Spirit that we find in Galatians chapter 5? One of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So the good news is that the Holy Spirit is going to work in you to grow his fruit for you. 
It's not my fruit. It's not the fruit of Jim. It is the fruit of the Spirit because it's His fruit, and He is working and growing that fruit in you. And that is good gospel news. And when we think about how do we live a godly and upright life, who knows better than God what that looks like? No one but Him. He is the standard of what a godly life looked like, and He has revealed that godly life to us in His Word. So we come here and we read and we see it, and then we recognize that the gospel is training us and instructing us to live the way that we are called to live in Scripture. Yes, we are called to grow in self-control and in godliness and uprightness. And yes, the gospel is there too, working all these things to get you there and to help you say yes to those things. These are the ways that we are to live the Christian life and the gospel will be there to help us live it out. Then in verse 13, Paul continues by saying what we are to be about where it says we are to be waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That while we are renouncing ungodliness and worldly passions, while we are living self-controlled, godly, upright lives, we are also waiting. Waiting for the second coming of Jesus, who is the glory of our great God and our blessed Now, verses 11 through 14 are one long sentence from Paul. So I think that Paul is also saying that the gospel is also the thing that is training us to be waiting for Jesus. Waiting is hard, right? I mean, just ask a kid who got done waiting for all those Christmas presents that they finally got to open last week. I mean, I don't know about you, but I think that time between Thanksgiving and Christmas as a kid was like the longest month of the year. I mean, that was super hard to wait because we don't like to wait. We are impatient people and we live in a right now society that really does not encourage patience and waiting which is why we need the gospel to be training us to be waiting for the second coming of Jesus. Because if I were to be totally honest with you, I don't wait and anticipate the second coming of Jesus nearly enough. You know, I get so caught up in the here and now. Whatever's happening with my family or at church or just things that are going on in the world, I can get stuck in the here and now. And instead, what we should be doing is we should be meditating. I should be meditating and thinking, you know what? Jesus is getting ready to come again. Today is a day closer to the return of Jesus. And not only to be waiting, but to be excited and anticipating his coming. And I recognize that I need the power of the gospel to get me looking back up again and waiting and anticipating that great day when Jesus comes again. But more than that, Look at the way Paul describes Jesus here in this verse. He calls Jesus our blessed hope and the glory of our great God. Jesus is not just our hope. He's our blessed hope, which literally means that he is our happy hope. That Jesus is our great, joyful hope. That in Jesus is a hope that will never disappoint That Jesus is a hope that will deliver all that he promises. And it is a hope that is beyond our wildest dreams and our greatest imagination. 
It is a hope that is going to fill our hearts with overflowing of joy. And then look what else Paul says about Jesus. That Jesus is the glory of our great God. This is a huge deity statement that, that Paul is saying about Jesus. See, that he's the glory, he's the reflection, he's the image of God, and he is great. Paul here describes Jesus in some very grand and majestic ways here. The glory of our great God and blessed hope. And I know that I can struggle to see Jesus in these ways. Far too often, my view of Jesus is too small. And I read passages like this in Titus, and I pray. I say, God, would you help me to see Jesus the way Paul saw Jesus here? Because Paul saw Jesus in an incredibly bright and beautiful way. And too often, my view of Jesus is too dim and too small. That every time I open the Bible, I say, God, will you help me today in this moment to see Jesus in a more glorious way? We need a supernatural scene of Jesus that only the gospel can provide. Then in verse 14, Paul continues to talk about our Savior Jesus in this way, where it says, Who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. This is the good work of the gospel of Jesus on the cross for us. That he redeemed us from all lawlessness. That Jesus made the payment to set us free and to liberate us from all lawlessness, all wickedness, all sin and iniquity. And I love that it says that Jesus has set us free from all lawlessness. Not just some of the lawlessness or most of the lawlessness, but every bit of it. We have been totally set free. There is not an ounce of of lawlessness left that owns you anymore. You have been 100% set free by Jesus. This is the gospel-saving work of Christ. But again, there's more good gospel work that's taking place here. Paul goes on to say that Jesus is going to purify for himself a people. So not only did Jesus save us and redeem us, but he's also going to purify us, which means that Jesus is going to do the work to sanctify us. The word sanctify means to make holy, that Jesus is going to do this work to make us look more like Jesus. Jesus is going to continue to do the transforming work in the lives of believers. He's going to keep working in us Every single day of our lives, 24-7, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year, every year that we are living, he will be purifying us. And Jesus does this because this passage says that we are a people for his own possession. This means Jesus owns us. It means that we are his He paid the ransom price not only to set us free from lawlessness, but also to say, hey, I'm going to make you my own now, that you are mine. And Jesus transforms those whom he possesses. This is the gospel work of Jesus. He saves us, he purifies us, he owns us. And this should result, this is supposed to result in a people, as our passage concludes here, 
who are zealous for good works. Now, the natural outcome of seeing all of this great gospel work that Jesus has done in us is not to sit idly by and do nothing. Instead, we are to see this great gospel work which Jesus has done for us and all that has taken place. And the response for us is to be overwhelmed with thankfulness and joyfulness to see all that he has done and to recognize that he has empowered us to go do the work that we have been called to do that we are enthusiastic to go do that work because of the work that he has done in us and the work that he is continuing to do in us these are a couple of great gospel power-packed passages here in scripture and this is what I want to be all about. And it is our prayer that this is what our church would be all about as well. That we would be a church that is all about the gospel. You see, I spent most of my life growing up thinking that the gospel was just the work that Jesus did in me to save me when he died on the cross for my sins and rose from the dead three days later. And that is where the gospel stopped working for me. Like, I grew up hearing a lot, Jesus did this for you, now you go do this for him. Like, there was, this, there was this point where it stopped, and then I had to do the rest. The rest of the Christian life was up to me. And what happened was, is that would routinely lead to, to a life of frustration for me. That would be doing good for a little while, and then I would totally fall off the rails. Because I found I didn't have enough strength or ability on my own to do all that scriptures called me to do about what the Christian life was supposed to look like. But then this started to change for me about, I think it's about 13 or 14 years ago now, that I started to read books. And I started to hear men preach about this idea of gospel-centered living. And the idea is this, that the gospel is for all of the Christian life. That the gospel is not just the thing that saves us, but the gospel is also the thing that strengthens us and also the thing that sustains us. That the gospel is what empowers and enables the growth of the believer. And when I started to hear this, I started to read Scripture. I read passages like what we read here in Titus today and all throughout the New Testament. And I saw this is all over Scripture. This gospel-centered living is all over the Word. And I started to see this, and it started to make a major impact on my life and in my relationship with Jesus. I found great encouragement, and I had great hope because now I saw that the gospel was continuing to work in me to do all the things that I was supposed to be doing, that Jesus was still doing something in me. And I was incredibly thankful to see this bigger work of the gospel that was continuing to take place in my life. And to know that Jesus will continue to be doing that gospel work in me every day. I mean, what that did is that caused me to love Jesus more, to appreciate Jesus more, to be thankful for Jesus more, but also to lean in on Jesus more and depend on Jesus more and to look for him to give me the strength to do these things. And this is what I want our church to be about. I want us to see the gospel in these ways. 
I know that the, the Chinese calendar always talks about every year is the year of, of a different animal. I don't know what 2023 is. I didn't take the time to look that up, but I'm sure it's something. But you know what I would like? I would like 2023 for us to be the year of the gospel. Let this be the year of the gospel. Let this be a year where we are thankful for the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's let this be a year that we are daily encouraged for the work of the gospel in Jesus Christ. That we would every day find our hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because we see there is a great continual power of the gospel working in us. And it will be working in us every day in 2023. And that we would come and read the Bible and that we would read the scriptures and say, okay, God, this morning, will you help me see gospel-rich power that is taking place? Let me see where Jesus is working. Let me see where the grace of God is working. Let me see where you are continuing to do a work in my life because it is there for us to see. So not only do we come to the word and search and hunt and look for it, but we pray and we say, God, help me see it this morning. Show me something new. And not only that, just to pray, to say, okay, God, today I need you to help me say no and renounce these things. Let the power of the gospel be working in me to say no to some things this year. And then help me to say yes to other things that are after your heart. And pray that you would be doing this great gospel transformation work in us. And then let's sit back and let's watch how the gospel grows us in Jesus that we can come to the first day of 2024 and we can say, wow, Jesus, look at how you worked and how the gospel worked powerfully in me and celebrate all that he has done. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you that the gospel just keeps working. I'm thankful that the gospel never gets tired Thankful that the gospel never gets worn down. Thankful that the gospel never stops. Thankful that you are always with us. I'm thankful that it says that Jesus, you never leave us or forsake us. And God, I pray that on this first day of 2023 and as we move throughout this year, that we would be a people that are centered on you, that are centered on the good news of Jesus Christ and the work that he did not only to save us, but the work that he's continuing to do in us to sanctify us, to sustain us, and to keep us growing in you. Oh, give us great gospel reminders every day of the good news of Christ and what you have done for us. And let us be a people that love the gospel, that loves your word and loves you and the great work that you have done, great work that you are doing, and the great work that you will continue to do in us. We pray this in your name. Amen. Here's how I want to end our time here this morning. I'm sure most of you as a church know that um, Pastor Ryan's wife, Tanya, has been really sick um, the last six months or so. And this week, uh, they are getting ready to head to Mayo Clinic. Um, they're going to leave on Tuesday, and they're going to be there for, I don't know, several days uh, just to uh, figure out what exactly is going on with Tanya and, and whatever sickness is that she would have. So what I want us to do this morning is, you know, we just got out of the Christmas season, right? And we read in, in Luke chapter 1, and, and the angel's response about the idea of a virgin being pregnant, that the angel says, for nothing will be impossible with God. That if he can do that work in Mary, 
then we know that he can also do a great work in Tanya, right? And so what I would like for us to do is I just want us to take a moment and just pray for the Miller family um, and, and pray for Tanya and pray for this upcoming trip and just pray that the Lord would do something really good. So would you join me in praying this morning? Father God, we come to you this morning because you are a God that says nothing is impossible with me. And so that gives us great confidence this morning that we come to you with prayer requests, not wondering, can God handle this one? Can you take care of this one? No, instead we come with absolute confidence to know that the request that we bring towards you is something that you can absolutely do. It is not overwhelming to you. It is not too big for you. And God, I do. I want to pray for the Miller family. I know that a lot of us have been praying a, a lot of days for a long time. So I pray that we would be like the persistent widow who does not stop bringing the requests. That we would pray with that sort of urgency, that sort of dependency, that sort of faithfulness because we know that you are the only one that we have to look to and that you are a good and great God to look to. God, I pray that you would be gracious and kind and show your goodness and that you would bring healing to her body. I pray that you would be working in Tanya. Even though uh, doctors at this point don't know what's going on, you know exactly what's going on. And that means you know exactly how to heal her. So we would just implore you Say, God, if you would please just do a great work in healing her, we would give all glory and praise and honor to you. Lord, we know that you can do that in a supernatural way. We know that you could do that uh, through means of doctors, that as they head to Mayo this week, we pray that you would give doctors keen wisdom and insight. We thank you for that great knowledge that you have shared with us. You are very kind in that way. And I pray that you would help them find answers. I pray that you would bring doctors along their path that not only want to find an answer, but will just care for them and to take the time to listen and to understand and to figure this out. I pray that there would be doctors that would work uh, relentlessly to figure out what it is that's going on with Tanya. Lord, we just pray that you would bring about healing. But more than that, God, I pray that you would spiritually encourage the Miller family. I pray for Ryan. I pray for Tanya. I pray for the kids. I know that it would probably be hard for the kids to have mom and dad gone for several days. I pray that you would encourage them. I pray that you would encourage them all spiritually. I pray that you would encourage them all in the good news of the gospel. I pray that you would encourage them uh, uh, day by day, that your nurse, mercies are new every morning and that they would see your mercies in new and different and powerful and beautiful ways. And they would not lose heart, that they would keep looking to you, that they would find their hope, that they would find their strength, and they would find their encouragement in the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We pray this all in your name. Amen. Uh, would you stand with me for our benediction this morning? 
I'm going to read to you from Jude 24 and 25. And what I want you to hear is there's gospel work that's taking place in these two verses. Listen to where it says here. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. You are dismissed.